following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we will be picking it up at verse 6, where we have left off our last time together. One of the greatest causes of division or even separation, be it in a marriage or a friendship or even in a church, is pride. Pride is a killer, isn't it? Unchecked pride is a serious thing always, leaving in its wake damage and destruction. It tends to categorize people and then downgrade them. Pride, arrogance, superiority, thinking too highly of oneself, all wrapped up in that which we would call self-centeredness. None of this has a place in the church of the living God. Yet an intellectual kind of pride had become deeply rooted in the Corinthian church. And pride, which as we've seen the the wisdom of the world, the, the pursuing of human wisdom apart from God, was about to rip that church in Corinth apart. And so God, through Paul, provides an answer to division, which is but as we're going to be seeing God's revealed wisdom coming through his living word. In verses 6 through 16 of this second chapter, we find Paul actually kind of distinguishing his message as a message of wisdom for the mature. It's a bit of a reprimand to the Corinthians for their seeking wisdom elsewhere. By elevating human wisdom... The Corinthians were actually opposing the very gospel that they professed to believe. Think about that for a moment, would you? They started out great because of the revealed wisdom and word of God come to know him and through salvation. But somehow, because it's Greece and because it's you know wisdom and philosophy were huge, Corinth is just down the street from Athens, so to speak, and somehow they had drifted from pursuing God's wisdom from Scripture and then pursuing human wisdom instead in place and maybe even mixing the two. And they were then elevating this human wisdom, which was opposing the very gospel that they had professed to be believing in. Paul hoped to turn them back to the deep, true wisdom of the gospel so that they could be reconciled, so that the divisions that had come to exist, and we know of at least four of them that were mentioned in chapter 1, would cease to exist, and that they would be together again in the spirit and in the bond of God's love. So let's pick it up at verse 6. Paul writes, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Paul clearly states that he proclaimed a message of wisdom among the mature. Paul had, of course, spiritual maturity in mind here. 
The contrast, again, obviously, is between Christian wisdom and the wisdom of this world. Christian wisdom is the gospel, while the so-called wisdom of this age, or even as he refers to the rulers of this age, are the worldviews and what was thought to be sophisticated belief systems which fail to recognize the wisdom of the gospel. So all who believe the gospel and recognize it as true wisdom are the ones who fall into the category here that Paul refers to as the mature. So he's not talking about a higher echelon of believers who happen to be smarter than others. He's just simply saying those who believe fall into that category of, of the mature. But what Paul is kind of really doing, and it's pretty, I like what he's doing here. He's kind of like saying to those who had caught, found themselves pursuing human wisdom, elevating it above God's wisdom, thinking that they were the high and mighty, that they were the mature ones. They were the ones looking down their noses at the believers, calling them and thinking of them as simpletons. It's like Paul is saying, no, actually, <laughs> from heaven's perspective, it's the other way around. They're the mature and you're not in comparison. Paul is letting the Corinthians church know that their pursuit of human wisdom made them look like little immature children who did not recognize what truth and wisdom truly were. They were living, they were thinking and behaving like little kids when really they thought they were something. By Paul mentioning the rulers of this age he will also refer to them in verse 8. It is likely that he is referring, I think, to two groups, both the spiritual rulers of this age in the spirit realm. Jesus talked about it in John 12. Paul would also talk about it in Ephesians chapter 6. Remember where he says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of this age, referring to the spirit realm. But I think he also has the rulers of the physical rulers who were in charge during this time because it is the rulers of this age in the spirit realm who work through the unbelieving, God-rejecting rulers of this age. So I think he's got both in mind here. Powerful people seem to have it all in this world, right? Have you noticed that? But when Christ returns, these powerful people who think they've got it all together, who think they have it all, all of their accomplishments are going to come, Paul says, to nothing. It's going to amount to absolutely nothing. And they will suffer the judgment of God because of their rejecting the true wisdom of God in Christ. Without using the word salvation, Paul is actually explaining salvation. <laughs> salvation was purchased by the Son, right? But it was planned all along by the Father. Let's be sure that when we talk about and use the term and the phrase, the simple gospel message, that we understand what that term really involves and means. Yes, the message of the gospel is simple enough for anyone every, anywhere to understand, believe, and to be saved. Yet, it is also so profound 
that the most brilliant theologian has yet to discover the depths of what is there in God. Like an iceberg that conceals its depth beneath the surface of the water, unbelievers cannot see the hidden depths of wisdom and truth that is inerrant in the Christian faith. It is, for, as Paul says, for the mature believers, simply those who believe, who are pursuing and growing in their understanding of the Word of God. Verse 7 says, No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. Now, Paul isn't saying that God's wisdom is strange and mysterious, but rather that it involves facts that cannot be known by a person's natural reasoning apart from God. In this context, a mystery is a truth hidden in past ages, but now revealed to the people of God. Revealing a mystery... And discovering a mystery are two entirely different things. God revealed to humanity what humans through their own methods and their own pursuits through their own intellect, again, apart from God, could never have discovered. To contrast earthly and divine wisdom, even further, Paul noted that none of the powerful of the world the rulers of the age, understood God's true wisdom. And he clarifies that and illustrates that. He says, because if they really did, they would not have crucified the Son of God. They were successful in, early, in earthly terms, but spiritually, not so much. Their resentment toward God made it clear that they had no wisdom at all. Paul dealt the Corinthians' pride in their arrogance, what I would refer to, what I'm calling a knockout punch, by telling them that their pursuit of human wisdom placed them in the very same company of those who crucified the Son of God. Think about that. It puts them in the company of those who crucified him, the one whom they are proclaiming and confessing, professing to worship. Something wrong with that picture, Paul is saying. Paul lets them know that had they known what would have happened to Jesus when he got crucified, they wouldn't have gone that route because they had no doubt thought that by crucifying him, they were getting rid of him. Can you imagine their shock? 
by way of his resurrection, Jesus in effect saying, I'm back. <laughs> and then later finding out and understanding and being confronted with the gospel truth that that was God's plan all along. In, in that plan, doing what? Saving humanity from sin and breaking the power of sin in our lives. It seems the believers at Corinth, hear me church, had forgotten the cost of their salvation. It seems that they had gotten their eyes off of the cross. It seems they had gotten sidetracked playing with children's baby toys, so to speak, and had lost the wonder of the greatness of God's plan for them. Paul is letting them and us know in verse 9, human logic on its own doesn't get it done. God's wisdom has to be revealed. It is a mystery in that it can never be known unless it is the Spirit of God that is making it known and revealing. This is key here, folks. Please do not miss this. The Corinthians needed to return to the ministry understanding of the working of the Holy Spirit and its role in this whole thing. And this would be Paul's next point. Look at verse 10. These are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Paul's point is the ordinary ways of understanding, like we saw in verse 9 as he quotes the prophets, eye, ear, mind, cannot perceive the mysteries of God. These senses on their own are not enough to discern the wisdom of God. In other words, once again, God must reveal in a special way. To drive home his main point, Paul applied the prophetic word that he used in verse 9 directly to the Corinthians. Although the, word, the world cannot perceive the wisdom of God, God has Nevertheless, because of his love and his grace and his mercy, revealed it to those whom care to know it. <laughs> I like that. And check this out. And I think this is just so, so amazing. It has come to us in a supernatural way directly from God. Now. I think that we want to camp here just for a moment because some of us pray and would love to see the miraculous. Is that true? How many believe that we serve a miracle working God still? How many would love to see miracles happen? You know what they do? <laughs> Your salvation, the fact that you are born again and walking with Jesus Christ is a miracle. But here's something else that Paul's putting to us here. And I just love this. Every time you are rather it's in your own private time of devotion 
or if you're in a Bible study or in a setting like this and the word of God is being spoken and taught, whatever, and you have one of those, what I'll refer to as an aha moment. And the word of God spoke to your heart. Maybe it was a conviction. Maybe it was a comfort and encouragement. However way God spoke to you, you know it was God. It was the spirit of God. You just experienced, Paul is saying, the supernatural. No less miraculous than any other kind of miracle that you would want to see. It's the supernatural taking place when you hear the word of God and the spirit of God reveals something from his word to your life that makes a difference, changes and transforms in how I like to say it, borrowing from some movie that will echo in eternity. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> the supernatural happens every time you've heard God's word and it makes a difference in your life. Apparently, many in Corinth were turning to and relying on human reason in their struggles within the church. So Paul reminded them that they had not perceived the gospel or received the gospel of Christ through human cleverness, nor could they progress in the faith because of their human cleverness since what they received at conversion came through, in the first place, divine revelation by the Spirit of God. Paul makes a bold statement in verse 10, stating that the Spirit searches not only all things of this world, but also the deep things of God. Nothing is hidden from the Spirit of God. The Spirit being a part of the Godhead, by the way, is also omniscient, all-knowing, like the Father. Amen? For this reason, he is a reliable source. In fact, dare we say, the only source in understanding and receiving insight into the wisdom of God. None of this insight comes through the human intellect or wisdom in terms of apart from God, of which the Corinthians were boasting about, dividing over, getting all proud and arrogant over, which resulted in divisions and quarrels that were completely unjustified. They were in error. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So to lend support to Paul's statement in verse 10, Paul drew upon an analogy between the human spirit and the Holy Spirit by acknowledging that many things about a person's thoughts can remain hidden to other people. Right? I mean, we talk and we share our thoughts with one another, but there are things we keep to ourselves. And that which you choose to keep to yourself, the other person cannot know because they can't get into your head and find that. <laughs> this is interesting. Yet the person's own spirit knows what is being hidden. We know what thoughts are in us, right? 
Others may not. They can't see it because they can't get in. But we know our own. The comparison with the Holy Spirit, I think, is evident at this point, right? We are not able to peer into the mind of God. We can't climb up in there. Through human wisdom and reasoning, the point here. In this sense, no one knows the thoughts of God fully. At the same time, however, Paul is letting us know, but there is someone who does. And that's the Spirit of God. Not only does he know the thoughts of God and the mind of God, and here's the part I really love, and therefore reveals those things to us. Wow. Verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who was from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The importance of Paul's analogy becomes clear in his affirmation that he had and the Corinthian believers had not come to Christ under the influence of the spirit of this world. <laughs> no mere earthly wisdom, Paul is saying, brought the Corinthians or anybody for that matter to the gospel of Christ. The spirit who is from God did this for them. The spirit of God comes upon all who believe in Christ, Romans 8, 9 tells us, and reveals to them the mind and the thoughts and the will and the wisdom of God. To help us better understand what Paul is giving us here is to consider this with me. Our salvation involves all three persons of the Godhead, right? You cannot be saved apart from the Father's electing grace or the Son's loving sacrifice, or the Spirit's ministry of conviction and regeneration, all three working together and revealing God to us in that sense. It is not enough to just simply say, hey, I believe in God, because in our time and in our age, what God, right? <laughs> Unless it is. The God and the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, revealed to us by the Spirit of God. There they are, all three, once again. Otherwise, there can be no salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 tells us the Holy Spirit is the spirit of liberty. That means freedom. Free at last, free at last. Amen. Well, free from what? I'll, I'll start with this, ourselves. <laughs> and the tyranny of this world and the grip that it wants to keep on us. We have not received the spirit of the world because we have been called out of this world and no longer belong to it. We are no longer under the authority of Satan and his world system. Good news, folks, we belong to God. Yeah. 
Yeah. How many are thankful that you belong to God? All of this is why Paul tells us in verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Jesus promised in John 16, 13, that the Spirit would teach us and guide us in all truth. But we must take careful note of the sequence here. The Spirit taught Paul from the Word. Paul taught others from that very same Word. In other, words, in other words, Paul isn't saying, hey, I'm just grabbing this and I'm just grabbing this, pulling it out of midair. See, that's what the Corinthians were doing. That's what was getting them in trouble. Paul's saying, no, none of that is happening. It's coming directly from God as it is revealed to us by his spirit through his word. Once again, we see the importance of God's word. It's truth. He lets us know that this truth is what sets us free. It's what reveals to us the ways and knowledge of our God. And so we must understand that the truth of God found in his word. And it is very important to note that the spiritual truths given to us come with specific words you see, in the Bible, we have much more than just inspired thoughts. We have inspired words, every single one of them. Jesus said in John 17, 8, for I gave them the words. He didn't say the thoughts or the ideas, the words that you gave me. I've given them. Verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. The contrast here is between the saved person called the person with the Spirit in verse 15, because the Spirit lives within, and the unsaved person, the person without the Spirit, as we see in the 14th, or it's called in other translations, the natural person or the natural man. As we will find coming up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul is going to introduce a third kind of person, here we're just dealing with two. He's going to introduce a third kind in chapter 3 when we get there, and that person is called the carnal person. That's the immature believer who just refuses to grow and mature and give himself and his life, can't get over himself in terms of living for Jesus Christ. But here it's the contrast between the spiritual and the unspiritual. Unsaved, saved. The unsaved as we see elsewhere in Paul's writings, walk by sight, right? And really see nothing. <laughs> They're referred to as being spiritually blind. They think they are sharp and smart, but spiritually blind. One commentator illustrates this like this. 
He says the natural man goes to the grocery store and buys all natural salad dressing and naturally grown tomatoes. But when a lady pushes her way in front of him in the checkout line, it's only natural that he gets upset. After ringing up his groceries, the checker accidentally gives him too much change. He keeps it naturally. <laughs> then he comes home and does what comes naturally. He eats and drinks and is somewhat merry until the emptiness in his soul drives him to look for something else. So he goes to a Bible study. He hears the word being taught, the scriptures being discussed, but they are foolishness to him. Because as a natural man, he is spiritually blind. Although the spiritual person is able to put things into proper perspective, that's what Paul is saying here. The unspiritual person can't figure spiritual things out. They can't understand why anyone would faithfully go to a Bible study, why anyone would consistently have time of prayer and devotions, why anyone would joyfully spend time in worship of our Creator God. You see, you are a puzzle. To the unbeliever, they don't get it. And what's really interesting is while they don't get it and while they don't get you, you know what's interesting? We get them. You want to know why? Because we were once there. Amen? Which is why. We want to always be cognizant and always be putting Jesus on display and speaking words of truth, speaking that which has been revealed to our own hearts so that they too could come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul is not saying in verse 15 that each Christian is somehow above and beyond reproof or correction. Rather, those who align themselves to the Spirit's wisdom and submit themselves to the Christian biblical worldview fall into the same category as the Word itself. In other words, they become foolish in the eyes of the world. That makes sense? And cannot, this is what Paul's saying, but so therefore, because it doesn't make sense to them because they have no spiritual discernment and understanding on that basis. They cannot be, we cannot be evaluated based on earthly, worldly wisdom, which you see the, the problem there. And it's what they do. It's what happens. Cannot be based on and we cannot be judged or try to be understood based on worldly wisdom, reason, or this world's philosophies. You see, it's not that they can't do that because they do right? It's that they're not able to correctly because they lack spiritual understanding. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? 
but we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ's church? He lives in us by his spirit. He's given his word to us in the scriptures. And so to have the mind of Christ does not mean that we are infallible and that we start playing God in the lies of others. Nobody instructs God, Paul says, quoting Isaiah 40, 13. To have the mind of Christ means to look at life from the Savior's point of view. Having his values, having his heart desires, his mind, his thoughts. It means to think God's thoughts and not think the way the world thinks. It's to walk in humility and not pride and arrogance. All of this becomes possible because of the revealed wisdom of God to our lives. In his book, More to Your Story, Lucado writes, everything changes when you know the rest of your story. I think that's true. How about you? He paraphrases something that David said in 1 Samuel, or excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 25. He says, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart. Oh, to his eyes. Let me say that again, because I think that is so good. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. But what is the text of our lives? Well, the self-help gurus and magazine headlines urge you to find yourself, find your narrative, they're saying. Look inside you, they say, but the promise of self-discovery falls way short, doesn't it? It, too, is a dead end. Your story indwells God's story. This is the great promise of God's word. It's in Christ that we find out who we really are. It's in Christ that we get real, true identity. We got a lot of identity crisis going on in our world today. Would you agree? And what we are living for is all found in that. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose that he is working out in every one of our lives. Amen. In his story, you'll find that there's more to your story. Never lose sight of that. And so I leave you with this today. What story is the world reading from your life? Hopefully, it is a God story. And hopefully, as more and more of God is revealed to you and me, more and more of Him is being revealed to them who do not know 
Jesus. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning and we just want to once again say thank you for your word. And we want to again say thank you for your revealed message to us that has come by way of the supernatural because it is the Spirit of God who reveals it. It is the only way that we can receive it and hear it and therefore believe it and apply it and live it out in our lives. I ask God that you encourage and strengthen and help every single one of us that in these days rise to the occasion, put you on display and reveal God as he has been revealed to us, to a world that is lost and struggling, spiritually blind. God, I pray that you do amazing things continually in our lives. As we, as we say around here often, get over ourselves, not making it about us, but making it all about you, Lord. This is our prayer. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.